Amen. We are taking five weeks, a five-week break from Romans. And what we're going to talk about is some of the core convictions that we have here at Grace Church. Many of you are, are new to us, and we are thrilled that you're here, honored that you'd consider having us become your, your home church. And so we thought it'd be helpful to take some time and talk about what are some of our core convictions to help you get to know us, and also so that all of us who have been here for a while can be strengthened in our pursuit of these core convictions. And so this morning, we want to talk about worship, the fact that God calls every church to be a worshiping church. What does that mean? And what does that look like? We're going to hear about that from David, King David. Who was King David? He was king of Israel about a thousand years before Christ, 1000 BC. He also was a gifted musician and worship leader, and God had gifted him to write perfect truth from God, like the apostles, like the Old Testament prophets. That was David, and that's why his songs are included. Many of them are in the book of Psalms, which is in the Bible, because what he writes is scripture. It's God's word. And so we're going to learn from David, truth directly from God, about what worship is all about. And Psalm 63 is about worship, as was just read for us, because you heard words like praise, you heard about singing, about raising hands, about calling out to God. So Psalm 63 is about worship. And what we want to ask David, first of all, is, David, why did you worship? Why did David worship? And the answer to that is right there in the first verse. Let's read it again. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So why does David worship? David worships because he longs for God. He's seeking God. For God, he's thirsting for God, he's fainting for God. As if he's in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So just picture yourself, middle of the summer, 130 degrees out in the Lewa Desert. You get there in the morning and you start, crazy idea, you start hiking through the desert and you forgot to bring water. So by six o'clock at night, what would you be thinking? Water! Right? I need, I'm thirsting for water. And that's what was in David's heart when it comes to God. God, I need you. I'm thirsting for you. I'm seeking for you. I'm fainting for you. That's why David worships. He's longing for God. This is so important to stress because many Christians think worship is just like an obligation or a, a duty Something that, well, that's what Christians do. Just what we do. And it is an obligation. God does call us to worship. But if all your worship is, is an obligation, if the only reason you're here this morning is because you're supposed to be, then it's very hard to worship. Worship is longing for God. That's the main reason we worship. 
I heard an illustration from a pastor. Let's say that I unexpectedly invite my wife late in the afternoon if I can take her out for dinner. Okay. And she says, I'd love to. What's the occasion? And what if I said to her, uh, no special occasion. I'm just supposed to do this. This is what husbands do. It's my duty. I have to do this, to be honest. Let's go. Husbands, don't do that. Okay? <laughs> Change your heart, first of all. Think of what a difference it would be if I said, what's the occasion? I love spending time with you. I want to be with you tonight. Just you and me. Let's go. Not just a duty, not just an obligation, a longing. So ask yourself, are you here this morning? Did you come this morning? You know, you're getting the kids ready and you're registering them and you're trying to get everybody fed and where's my shoes and all the different things we're dealing with, you know. Are you thinking, I'm, I'm longing for God. That's why I want to be there. Or, or is it just a matter of duty? I hope that verse 1 will help you rethink that. Yes, God calls us to worship, but that's not the only reason we worship. He calls us to worship because when we long for him, we will meet him. That's what David is talking about. Now, David's talking about hungering for God, thirsting for God, fainting for God. That might sound a bit puzzling because you're thinking, well, now, hold on. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm reconciled to God. I know God. Why do I need to search for him? Why do I need to long for him? I have him, don't I? And you do. But the Bible teaches that as much as you have of God, God has much more for you of himself. He has much more than any of us have experienced in this room. In this life, he has much more for us. Romans 5, 5, we studied that a few weeks back in Romans. And Paul says that there will be times for every believer when God pours his love, pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we experience his actual love for us. Beautiful. And Jesus said in John chapter 7 that when we seek the Lord, we will have times where he so pours his Holy Spirit out upon us. It's like living water satisfying every heart thirst that you have. You're completely satisfied, filled, secured in him. We can experience that. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 that God can give us joy that he describes as joy unspeakable, joy that's indescribable and full of glory. That's what God can give to us. And we see that happening right here in Psalm 63. Remember, David starts off longing for God, seeking for God. I want you, God. That's where he starts off in verse 1. But then look at what he says in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I'm hungering now. I'm thirsting now. I'm seeking. I'm longing. But I will be satisfied. Why? How? Here's how it works. God has made us, he's created us, so that we long for joy. Every single one of us in this room, what we long for is joy, and everything we do, if you really think about it, everything we do is done to gain joy. It's not sinful to seek joy. 
God made you to do that. What's sinful is seeking joy in the wrong places. That's what sin is. God made us to long for joy. Why? Because he is the greatest joy in the universe. That's why. He made all of us human beings so that we long for joy, and he is the joy that we're longing for. That's why David worshiped God, because he longed for joy, and he knew that God was his all-satisfying joy. And that's why we, Grace Church, Sunday mornings, we take a chunk of time in our service, and what we do is we set our hearts on God as he's revealed in Christ, and we worship in song. We praise him. We love him. We worship him, because as we do that, our hearts will be satisfied as we taste and see how good the Lord is, as we behold his glory, as we feel his love, as we experience his presence. The greatest joy there is, is knowing God in Jesus. And worship is one of the most powerful ways we experience that joy. So understand, you, because you're trusting Jesus Christ, you can experience that. You can. Even if it's been a long, long, long time, you can. Even if maybe you never have, you can. God has this for you. He promises this for us. We worship because we long for God, because he is our heart-filling treasure. That's why David worshiped, and that's why we worship. Okay, so how do we worship? How did David worship God? As I looked at verses 1 through 8, I saw five aspects to David's worship that I think would be helpful for each of us to consider. First, David expressed his longings to God. Read verse 1 again. Look at how he does that. Oh God, he's, he's talking to God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is talking to God here. Notice that. And, and so I would encourage you, at the beginning of worship, take a minute or two and, and just talk to God about how you long for him. Ask him, meet me. I'm longing for you. Meet me. Fill me. Satisfy me. In fact, I would encourage you maybe even to think about taking some time Saturday night to do that. Just put everything else aside and just pray about tomorrow morning. I would encourage you to do all you can to, to come here so you can, you can have a few minutes early. So, you know, wake up a little bit earlier, whatever it takes. Come here so that you can come in before we start and sit down and prepare your heart. I mean, you can talk to other people. That's good too. But just, oh Lord, I'm longing for you. I'm longing to meet you this morning. Now, what if you come, it's one of those mornings, you, you come in, and what if your heart isn't longing for God? We all experience that from time to time. So what should you do? I mean, what if instead of longing for God, what you're longing for is, I, I, I want a better job that pays more money. Or I'm longing to get back at that person at work who hurt me this week. 
Or I'm longing for those shoes at the mall to go on sale or just different things that we're longing for, right? All kinds of stuff, right? We come in, we're distracted, we're preoccupied, right? I mean, usually when I come in, it's like, Lord, help me, all right? And he does. He helps us. And see, if, if you come in and your heart is somewhere else, here's the good news. On the cross, Jesus paid for all the sins of everyone who trusts him. And so if your heart's thinking about revenge or about this or about you know, whatever it might be, Father, here I am. I'm not really longing for you right now. Forgive me through Christ. And as you do that, you'll be assured that you are completely forgiven through Jesus. And you pray, help me now. Change my heart. Free my heart from those things. I want to meet you. I'm longing to long for you. Now, you can pray that, right? If you're not longing for God, it's not what well, I should wait till I'm longing for God before I can pray. No, if you're not longing for God, then pray and tell God you're longing to long for God. Change my heart. Help me to start longing for you. Help me to see just through all that stuff that's distracting me. And he will do that. So I would encourage you, pray Psalm 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I'm longing for you or, I, or I'm longing to long for you. Come, help me, forgive me, meet me this morning. He will. He will. Second, David set his heart upon the truth of God's power and glory. Verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Notice that word so at the very beginning. Very important word here. David is saying, verse 1, he's longing for God. And so, because of verse 1, because he's longing for God, he's going to set his heart upon the truth of God's power and God's glory. He's longing for God, and therefore he's going to set his heart upon the truth of who God is. Now, why would he do that? If he's, if he's longing for God, why set your heart upon the truth of who God is? It's because we experience God most powerfully in and through the truth of who he is as revealed in Christ. That's how we experience God most powerfully. I think too often people are crying out, God, pour out your spirit upon me. Show me your glory. Make yourself real to me. They're praying that, but their Bibles are closed. No, no, see, the Bible is like the, the pipeline. Open the Bible. That's the pipeline for God to pour his presence out upon you. Because as you think about the truth of who God is as revealed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will make those truths real to you. You'll feel the reality of those truths. You'll meet God in the truth of Scripture. So don't keep the Bible closed or... I mean, your Bible's closed during worship, but we have the songs that, we, that Anish picks are full of biblical truth. And so that's how we set our hearts upon God's power and God's glory, just like David does here. Notice what he says in the last line of verse 7. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. One way that David set his heart upon the truth of who God is, is by singing. Singing. You might think, well, I'm not a musical person. I have no interest in singing. Well, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I do more croaking than singing, okay? Um, God created music. 
We didn't come up with music. Before creation, it says that the angels were singing in celebration of God as he created. God created worship. God created music. It's a gift from God. Because music helps us feel truth. That's what some music does. So when Anish puts together a worship set, he's choosing songs that fill two criteria. One is they're full of biblical truth. Who God is as revealed in Christ. They're full of biblical truth. And then second, they have music that will help us feel those truths and express those truths. And so as we worship, we set our hearts upon the truth of who God is as revealed in scripture through song. That's what we do, singing biblical truth. Third aspect of worship that I see here that David describes for us. David directed his worship to God himself. Verse 3, he says, Because your God's, your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David is proclaiming who God is to God. He's proclaiming who God is to God. Your steadfast love, God, it's, it's better than life. Nothing else in life comes close to comparing to the joy that I have in beholding your love and experiencing your love and delighting in your love. Your steadfast love is better than life. David's proclaiming to God who God is. Something powerful happens in your heart when you say to God directly and personally and intimately, you are glorious. You are my God. I love you. I worship you. I long for you. Something powerful happens in the human heart when you open your heart up to God in that way and worship him like that. Your steadfast love is better than anything else in my life. It's like David does here. Something powerful happens when we speak to God in that way. We, we, we meet God himself in the truths that we're singing about. You're glorious. You're just. You're powerful. You're merciful. As we worship God personally in that way, we meet God in those truths. Something happens in our hearts. Here's an example. In a moment, or when we close, we're going to sing the following words. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. But, but here's the danger. You know the song, and so you find yourself, and you just kind of end up, I mean, we just end up mindlessly singing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about my kids. You're the greatest treasure of my longing soul. What's going to be for lunch, right? And isn't that what tends to happen? Okay, so focus. Focus. O Lord. Lord, help me. I'm, I'm distracted. Lord, you are my rock. You are my redeemer. You are the greatest treasure. So don't just sing songs. Don't just go through the motions, but I'm talking to you, Father. Help me here. I'm weak. I get distracted. Help me. I'm talking to you. You are my rock and my redeemer. See how that works? It's not easy, right? Our mind just going here this way and this way and this way and this way. The Lord will help you. The Lord will help you. When you open your heart to the Lord in a personal, intimate way, 
Transformation will happen. Joy will come. Love will come. God will come. That's third. Fourth, David lifted his hands before God. Verse four, he says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, throughout the Bible, we see people with different physical expressions in worship, like raising hands in adoration or clapping hands in celebration or shouting in exuberance or bowing down or kneeling in, in humility, right? All kinds of different physical expression. And those can all be powerful, but what we want to remember is that what's most important is not the physical expression. What's most important is what's happening in our hearts. Our hearts is what's most crucial. And see, physical expression, expressiveness, that can vary from personality to personality and from culture to culture, right? Some cultures are much more expressive and others are much less expressive. That's just how it works. So let's not judge each other. Can we commit to not judging each other? Can we commit to not judging each other? (laughs) The right answer is yes. Okay. Mean it. Yes, we can commit to not judging each other. I mean, someone sitting there with their hands folded, singing could be worshiping just as passionately as someone standing with their hands raised, right? It's just how it is. So we don't judge. Okay. At the same time, let me encourage you to explore what the Bible describes. Maybe start in the privacy of your own home. Maybe kneeling down when you pray is just a matter of humility or or just lifting your hands saying, God, I need you. I need you. Explore what, what the Bible describes. I think the reason the Bible encourages physical expression is because they express and they increase what's in your heart. I mean, we're holistic beings. If I say to my wife, I love you from across the room, that's beautiful. But if I walk over and say, hun, and I take her in my arms, say, I love you, I'm feeling it more, right? Isn't that how it is? That's how physical expression works. Okay, think of what happens when your favorite football team scores a goal. What happens, okay? The most inexpressive people suddenly, wow, yes, right? Oh, where'd where that, where that come from? Okay, it, it's amazing what happens. It, it, and you do that because it expresses your joy and it increases your joy, doesn't it? That's why. Same can happen in worship. What's most important is our hearts. What's happening in your heart? That, that's where the focus is. And then explore the physical expressions described in the Bible. Fifth, David was completely satisfied in God. That's the end result of all this. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now this last step is different from the first four. Did you notice the difference? The first four, 
describe actions that David took. These are things David did. David expressed his longings to God. David set his heart on the truth of God's power and glory. David directed his worship to God himself. David lifted his hands before God. This fifth step is not something that David does. This is something that God does in David. Notice verse 5 again. Read it again. My soul will be satisfied. Passive verb. Something happens to David. God does this to God satisfies David. God does this. David didn't start off satisfied. He started off longing and hungering and thirsting and speaking to God who he is and acknowledging God's power and glory. He starts off there. And as he did that, God satisfied him. God made his presence real to him. God showed him his power and his glory. God poured his spirit out upon him. Think about this illustration that David gives. My soul be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Think about your favorite food. Okay? Barbecued ribs. Or braai. Or biryani or salmon. Don't think about it too much. But just, just, think, just think about it just a little bit here. Okay? What happens when you eat it? You're satisfied, right? You're satisfied when you eat it. Why? Why are you satisfied? Because it is satisfying. It's tasty. It's delicious. I love it. It's satisfying to me. That's why. It's not because well, I'm supposed to be satisfied. It's because I ought to be satisfied. No, see, God's infinitely better than I, I don't want to say that. He is infinitely better than barbecued ribs. I mean, that's, the comparison is just ludicrous. Okay, it's just ludicrous. But you, you, know, you know what I'm saying. When you worship God as he's revealed in Christ, you will be satisfied because he is satisfying. He is objectively the greatest joy in the universe. He is he is that. Anytime we're not feeling that, it's because we're dulled by distractions, by worries, by fears, by sin, right? And, and we are. We are humans. We're in the flesh. We're distracted and dulled often. I am often have dimmed vision in regards to God, very often. But see, it's not like, going back to the food example, like, like God is this little dried up cracker back in the, in the back kitchen drawer somewhere that you pull out and think, I'm supposed to be satisfied in this. Yum. That's not what it is at all. God is glorious. God is all satisfying. And when you meet him, he will satisfy you because that's who he is. Not something you ought, I mean, we ought to by getting those things moved out of the way, but he is that. He is satisfying. God's glory shining through Christ is the all satisfying joy of the universe. And when we worship him, he will give us tastes of his glory and our hearts will be filled. No joy comes close to comparing. You've all tasted the joy of God's beauty in Christ and nothing comes close to comparing. God comes and he satisfies us. He gives us joy. He gives us his presence. He gives us peace. You might think, well, I thought worship was something that we give to God. 
And there's a sense in which we do give worship to God. We give him praise. We give him glory. But listen, he's not the needy one here. It's what he gives to us is what worship is all about. Not health and wealth, but him. Him. God loves to give needy people himself. God isn't thinking, you're always asking. He's, God never says that to you when you're coming to him, saying, I'm thirsting for you, I'm longing for you. He says, yes, and he'll pour it out upon us because that's how he gets glorified. When he fills and satisfied needy people, his glory is dazzling in splendor at those moments. So worship isn't mostly what we give to God. It's coming to God empty and needy to receive from him, and he will meet you when you do that. Those are the five aspects of David's worship. David expressed his longings to God, set his heart on the truth of God's power and glory, directed his worship to God himself, lifted his hands before God, and was completely satisfied in God. One last illustration. The Matterhorn is one of the most spectacular mountain peaks in the world. It's in Switzerland, snow-capped, absolutely gorgeous. Let's say that you're driving there because there's this particular turn off on the road, a scenic spot where you turn off into the place where all the tourists are going, ooh, ah, click, 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 right? And you're looking forward to getting to that point and seeing the Matterhorn. And, and you drive and you, you pull off at that point, but when you get there, it's just gray, thick fog. That's all there is. Okay? That's how our worship starts much of the time. That's how my worship starts much of the time. This fog of worries, this fog of tiredness maybe, fog of sin, whatever it might be, right? We start worship off and it's just like, I know the Matterhorn's there, but I mean, it's fog. I'm not seeing anything. So what do we do? We do what David does here. We express our longings to God. Oh God. You're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I'm thirsting for you. I'm longing for you. I'm hungering for you. And then pray and ask God by the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow the fog away. Lord, just blow these things away. I want to see you this morning. I want to behold you this morning. And then you set your heart on the truth of who God is as we sing these truth-filled songs. Set your heart on the truth of who God is. It's like you're there at this scenic spot, and you know the Matterhorn's right there, you can't see it, but you're, just gonna, you're, you're looking at it. And you're saying, God, come. I'm, I'm, I'm setting my heart upon who you are. Just by the Spirit, blow the wind away. Blow, blow the fog away so that I can, I can see you. And as you do that, as you're declaring your longings to God, as you're setting your heart on the truth of who God is, as you're praying and asking God, just clear my mind, clear my heart, blow the fog away by the wind of your spirit. As you do that, the fog will start to break up. You know how fog does that? Blow away. You will see the beauty of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. You will feel the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. You'll be satisfied and you will worship. That's what God will do. He will meet us when we come to him. Oh God, you're my God. I'm longing for you. I'm thirsting for you. Come, help me to worship. He will 
every time. Let's stand together. Thank you, Father, for the gift of worship. Thank you for the worshiping hearts that you've put in this church, Lord. What a joy it is to worship with my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, we ask you for more. We want to proclaim your excellencies. We want to speak of your glory and worship Jesus Christ here in this country. We want people who come in who don't know Christ to see that we are really captured by something here. Even if they don't know who you are or what this is, but Lord, they would tell we are really captured by something here. So Lord, take us deeper, move us on, pour out even more upon us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.